want to talk about and glorify Jesus today. So if you would, we're going to go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Not the typical Christmas story, but it does have the theme of Christmas in it. John chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Is there anybody grateful for that? Verse 14 says this. So that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We see that over this season. It represents the birth of Jesus. So he, God, becomes flesh and lives among us, made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask over these moments that we have together that you would speak clearly to us. Thank you for uh, just even how this season falls, that Christmas Eve is on a Saturday and we get this opportunity before we celebrate tomorrow with our families to, to really celebrate you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. I love this portion of scripture in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, it says this, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. From all unrighteousness. I love this because the Bible tells me there is only light in God. There's no darkness in Him at all. There's no hidden agenda with God. Aren't you thankful for that? That God is open. He is honest with you. I love that God isn't going to win you with one thing and then demand something completely different from you at the end. He's not going to save you by grace through faith and then you get to the end and He go, mm, you should have read the fine print. There was other stuff, you know, there were things that I wanted you to do, but you didn't do, you know, but I know, I know you believe that, but I'm thankful today that there are no in-app purchases with God. You know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever downloaded an app on your phone and then you try to use the app and it's like, if you want to use this app, you have to actually pay for it, but you downloaded it for free, so you thought it was free, but it ended up not being free, and to really use the app, you had to pay $4.99 a month for the rest of your life to use this app. That's not how it is with God. He doesn't have in-app purchases. You don't get salvation as a gift free by grace through faith. And then all of a sudden he's like, oop, you missed the fine print. You didn't, you didn't check. There were actually in-app purchases. You're not saved because you, you speak in tongues. You're not saved because you prophesy. You're not saved because you got baptized. You're saved when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and confessed him as Lord. He saved you by his grace, sealed you with the Holy Spirit. There are no in-app purchases with God. There's no like a fast talk at the end of a commercial. 
You know, you're watching one and it's like, hey, take this and this could help you with your health issue. Oh, by the way, you could die. Blood could come out of your eyeballs. It's like, I thought I was taking this to avoid death, but apparently this could kill me as well. There's no fast talk with God. There's no... Uh, no in-app purchases. He, he's not, uh, there's no like fine print with God. I watched the movie Wonka this week and um, I didn't go by myself. I went with my children and uh, they forced me to go. I didn't want to go. It wasn't my idea. Stop. Okay, stop. Um, and there's this scene, I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but where he wants to stay at this hotel and they have him sign and this little girl tells him before he signs, she says, hey, read the fine print. And then he starts to pull out this paperwork and it just keeps going and going and going and going. You know, that could, you can feel that way sometimes in your walk with God if you hear the wrong things about God. You feel like there's a lot of fine print with God. But there's no fine print with God, no in-app purchases, no fast talk with God. In Him is only light. There's not another side to God. There's not like you don't want to get on God's bad side. We, we pit God even against himself as if his love and his justice and his wrath are all of these things that oppose one another. And he has all these different faces. And you just need to be careful that he doesn't wake up with the wrong face. I just came to tell somebody there is only light in God. There is no shadow of turning with God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever He is light and pure light, no darkness in him at all. But sin, however, loves the dark. Disobedience lives in the dark. Shame is the air you breathe in the dark. The Bible teaches us very clearly that in order to get our life out of the dark, it must be exposed to radical light, life-giving light, intense light. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is beautiful because the picture of light is that it comes to drag you out of the darkness that you are in. The light doesn't come to harm you. The light doesn't come to hurt you. The light doesn't come to shame you. Jesus says, I came as light so that I could rescue people out of darkness. So it's an encouragement. It's not a scary thing to bring our sin into the light, to bring our darkness into the light, because that light doesn't shame us. That light helps us and saves us. Is there anybody thankful for that light today? That's why 1 John is so important because it says, hey, if there's anybody who thinks that you are in this space today and you have a sinless life, you are deceiving yourself. If you say you have no sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. The point of walking in the light is not that we would be sinless. The point of walking in the light is that we would be sin conscious. That, That light, that exposes the darkness in us would continually expose that darkness and eradicate it from our life. So it doesn't expose us to hurt us and harm us and shame us. It exposes us to bring us out of the dark. The mark of the saint, the mark of the Christian is not that we never make mistakes. It's just that we are aware when we do. Come on, somebody. Cycles in my life or patterns of behavior can only be broken by the light 
of Jesus. Bring it into the light. Bring it into the light. And there are some things in our lives that, just to be honest, will not break off of our lives until they experience the light of Jesus. I didn't come to church today because I have it all together. I didn't come up here to preach today because I'm like, I'm the guy in the room. I got it all together. It's all in order. I mean, I even, I even, if you've never been here before, this is me dressed up. <laughs> this is dressed up. <laughs> I got a shirt with buttons on it. This is dressed up. Khaki pants. I know they still have pockets, but they're khaki pants. This is me dressed up. And I know I might look like it. My hair is cut. My beard is trimmed. I'm the guy on the stage with the microphone. I'm the guy dressed real fancy today. It might <laughs> look to you like I'm the guy in the room with it all together. But I'm not here and I'm not even preaching to you because I'm the one with it all together. I'm here as a declaration to Jesus that I need you now more than I have ever needed you in my life. There still remains some darkness in me, some attitudes that aren't like you, some thoughts that aren't like you, some behaviors that aren't like you. And I need the light of God's word to come and shine to eradicate more and more darkness in my life. Less of me and more of you. That's what I'm here to declare. And so I gave up a long time ago caring what people thought about me when I do come into the light. I used to worry. You know, I used to go home and be like, man, you were really loud today. You screamed a lot. Like, you got a microphone. It doesn't take all of that, bro. Like, you ran around. You sweat. You looked weird in front of those people. You know, when I was younger and my knees were working better, I was jumping. And then I was coming up here sweating, out of breath. And I would go home like, what did you just do? That's embarrassing. But I got over that a long time ago, the idea of being afraid about what happens to me, what is exposed about me in the light. I, I got over that a long time ago. I don't care if people think I'm a fanatic. I don't care if people think I'm loud. I don't care if people think I'm obnoxious. I don't care if people think I, I'm, I'm too, I get too excited. I don't care about, I don't care if my transparency makes you think less of me. You know why? Because you didn't die for me. I'm here <laughs> to bring my life into the light. And when the light hits my life, if it makes me cry, if it makes me run, if it makes me shout, if it makes me scream, if it makes me fall on the floor, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I want the light to do what the light was intended to do in my life. Makes me think of about three people in the New Testament that felt the same way. There was this woman with the issue of blood, the Bible says. And she, under the law, would be stoned for leaving her house and walking in the community. And the worst thing you could possibly do is touch a man of God, a priest, a prophet, a rabbi. And she does all of this under the potential exposure of her own life, of her own shame. And she could have been stoned to death. But when she gets to the light... 
The light of God that came into the world didn't turn around and shame her and tell her to go back home and fix herself before she came and touched the hem of his garment. The light of God cleared her and cleansed her and stopped the issue that was in her life. And he let everybody else around know that when, when sin touches me, it doesn't infect me. I actually do unto sin what sin was intended to do to me. I eradicate the darkness. I get rid of the darkness. If I can just but touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, virtue came out of my body. And when virtue came out of his body, light flowed into the body of that woman. And that issue in her life stopped immediately. This is what the light does. The light deals with your issues without hurting you. According to the law, this woman should have been stoned when she touched Jesus. But she wasn't stoned. She was healed. There's another guy in the Bible named Zacchaeus, really short guy apparently in the Bible. So short that he couldn't see above the crowd one day and Jesus came to town and the Bible says that he climbed up in a tree so that he could see Jesus. I love this about Zacchaeus who was this tax collector who everybody in town considered the worst of the worst. I love that Zacchaeus, even though, you know, because the worst, the worst part about us or the most embarrassing parts about us are not the ones that we want to throw up on a tree for everybody to see. So it's embarrassing for a short guy to have to stand up in a tree so that he can see Jesus. My kid, my, my youngest son, Oliver, is at the point where he doesn't want me to pick him up anymore. Right? I, I used to, we would be at a concert or at a show or, and I would pick him up so he could see. And now I go to pick him up so he can see. He's like, no, I'm fine. I'm a man. I got this. I'm like, you can't see anything. <laughs> but I love the humility of Zacchaeus who's like, I got to get in the light. And I don't care if everybody around here looks at me weird because they know I'm short and I'm having to get up in the street because of my size. I need to see Jesus. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. And the Bible says that Jesus walked by him that day and said, hey, I'm coming to your house. I don't know what's happening to you and I don't even really know why you're up in that tree. You are short. That's probably why. But I'm going to your house today. Jesus goes to his house and without Jesus even preaching a message, this is what the light does. The light makes Zacchaeus stand up at the lunch table and go, hey. I'm a sinner. Jesus hasn't even called him one. Hasn't even preached the gospel. He's literally just eating food. Because what Jesus believes is that his presence can do more in your life than a lecture could ever do. And he believes that because he is full of so much light. That when you're sitting there in your darkness, all you can do is, Hey, uh, I see the light and the light has shown me who I am. And Zacchaeus is like, anybody that I owe, I'm going to pay it all back. I'm going to even pay more than I owe back. And Jesus goes, surely salvation has come to this house today. There's another guy in the Bible. He, he's, his title is that he's blind Bartimaeus. My problem with that is that is not who he is anymore. Isn't it wild? How people, even though you aren't that anymore, can attach an identity to you that sticks with you for the rest of human history. Even though Bartimaeus isn't still blind. We call him blind Bartimaeus. That's what the devil wants to do. That's what darkness wants to do. Is attach something to you and let it stay attached to you and be your identifier for the rest of your life. But, Zach, but Bartimaeus was so desiring of sight, the Bible says he started to cry out, Jesus, son of David. And the crowd said, hey, dude, shh, 
chill. Be quiet. And the Bible says he got louder and louder. Ooh, I love this. I love a church that gets louder and louder. I love a service that gets louder and louder as we realize more and more our desperate need of Jesus Christ. Let's not become quieter and quieter, church. Let's get louder and louder so that the darkness can be dispelled and the light of God's glory can fill our life and our sight can be returned and our vision can be restored in the name of Jesus. Anybody in the room just want to put your hands together and thank God for the light of the world. He's the light of the world. Light isn't hurting you. The light of God isn't harming you. Our secrets are killing us. Our shame is killing us. The hidden things are hurting you. Accountability isn't ruining your marriage. A lack of it is. The light isn't hurting your relationships. The darkness is hurting your relationships. The truth isn't hurting your marriage. Secrets are killing your marriage. And the enemy wants you to be afraid of that momentary exposure where you feel shame and regret for what you have done. Because if he can keep you trapped in what you think will happen to you if you are exposed, he can keep you trapped trapped in the thing that will eventually take your life. But what God does when a person is exposed to him, God doesn't use that as an opportunity to shame them and make an example out of them in front of everybody. You see it all through scripture. That's not what Jesus came to do. As a matter of fact, when Jesus says this, he says this in John chapter 8 verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Do you know what the previous 11 verses are all about? Previous 11 verses are about a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. The Bible says she was caught by these men and they drag her into the street and they throw her in front of Jesus. And immediately Jesus recognizes that these people who are trying to use the law to justify stoning this woman to death are actually inaccurately using the law to do this because the law, if you look it up, says that both the man and the woman are to be brought. For some reason, these men knew exactly where this woman was. And they drag her into the street and they think they're going to catch the the lawgiver in a mistake concerning the law. And he actually catches them in one. So they're like standing there and Jesus says to them, hey, how about this? How about if anybody in this place doesn't have sin in their life? You go ahead and throw the first stone. And the light of the world looks at him. And as he looks at him, they begin from the oldest to the youngest. The Bible says they begin to drop their stones and walk away. And Jesus tells the woman who's on her face, he says, hey, look up. Where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you or condemn you. Think about that for a minute. The light of the world. When we are caught in our worst moment and we are exposed to everybody else, what does the light do? The light doesn't expose us. The light comes in and covers us and protects us from the stones of the people around us. 
This is what the light does. The light reveals the darkness in you, but the light also covers you from the darkness around you. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs. Listen, Proverbs 27 and 5, it says, For he will conceal me when the troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. I don't care what they said on social media. I don't care what they said about you to your friends. I don't care what they said about you in the streets. Right now, in Christ, you are hidden on a high rock, far away from their accusations and their darkness. You are covered under the shadow of his wings. Proverbs 20 or Proverbs 91 and 4 says, He will cover you with his feathers, he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. So the light, what does it do? It exposes the darkness in me and eradicates it from me. And then he comes in that same light and he protects me from the things outside of me that would try to harm me. He hides me in the rock. He hides me under his wings. He covers me with his feathers. I'm thankful today that the light who has every right to condemn me, every right to stone me, every right to get rid of me, every right to shame me says, I choose not to do that because I love you. Instead, I'm going to cover you. That's the announcement that Jesus is making this season is that the light has come into the world not to just show you darkness but to protect you from the darkness that's what the light of God does that's what the light of God does the light exposes the darkness trying to condemn me and what that does is it removes fear from my life so Jesus says in verse 12 after he protects that woman and sends her on her way he says go and sin no more what does he say he says I'm the light of the world (laughs) this is what I do this is what light does I think I think that's just so powerful matter of fact darkness is not even a thing Einstein said and he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs (laughs) Einstein says light or darkness is not a thing darkness is actually the absence of light light itself can be measured light has spectrums light has a speed I think if we're not careful, we will forget that the light of the world who came into the earth, into that manger, is now the light that lives on the inside of us. And he now turns and says, in the same measure that I was the light of the world, now you are the light of the world. It's the same word. When, when he says, I am the light of the world, and he says, you are the light of the wor- world, same word. So that, what that means is in the same way, with the same measurement, with the same effectiveness, and the same power. The New Testament tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us. When that spirit comes, what does he say he will do? He will baptize you in the spirit and with fire. When you think of light, stop thinking. When you read the Bible, stop thinking lights is in light bulbs. They didn't have them. Their light was fire. And when Jesus says you are the light of the world, what he means by that is you have the deposit of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and the same light that was in me is in you. 
The same power that was on me is now on you. Greater works will you do. Because I go to the Father and I send you the light of heaven. I send you the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you in His Spirit and He will baptize you in fire. My God, that's good news for me today. It's not a light that runs out. It's not a bulb that that goes away with time. It is a fire that stays. It is not an earthly fire that I started. The Spirit isn't a fire I began. The Spirit is a fire that God started. And God is an all-consuming fire. And God is an unquenchable fire. And God is an eternal fire. So what God is doing in me is not temporary. It's forever. So when he tells me that when I'm saved, I'm sealed by the Holy Ghost, he's telling me that that work is finished, it's done, it's forever. That is good news. I'm tired of good news sounding like bad news. I want good news. I want good news. The Bible is not, hey, you have good news because there is bad news. No, it's good news. You have good news. It's good news. Well, what about the bad news? Good news. What's the answer for the bad news? Good news. What do we preach? Good news. What about the bad news? Good news. You get it? Who's on first? <laughs> you get it? Good news. Good news. Good news. What's the answer? What's the solution? Good news. What about the bad news? Good news. It's good news. Help me. It's good news. Darkness is not a thing. So the opposite of light is not dark. The opposite of light is actually fear. Have you ever gone down into your basement and the lights are on? Totally fine. I'm 45 years old and still sometimes when I turn the light off in the basement, I kind of up the steps just a little, just a little bit. What's going on down there? Just a little bit of speed up those steps. Why is that? I was just down there. The lights were on. I saw that there was nothing down there. But as soon as the lights go off, my imagination takes over. And fear creeps in. That there's something going on in the dark that I can't see that's a danger to me. What does the light do? The light exposes it. It says, hey, there's nobody down here. Nothing down here. So the opposite of light is not darkness. The opposite of light is fear. And Jesus came to remove fear from life. One of the things that the resurrection of the dead does for us, this incredible, beautiful doctrine that when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise and those that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. One of the beautiful things about that is that it, it removes the fear of death because I know death is not the end. For me as a believer, it's the beginning of something brand new. I don't know what all heaven looks like and the new heaven and the new earth and the thousand-year reign and all of it. I have no idea what all that's going to actually be and how much of that is going to be spiritual or physical. I don't know. And we might get into those conversations. But what I do know is that I will not remain in that grave forever, that the Son of God will come in His glory and He will will resurrect me the same way He was resurrected from that tomb on the third day. I will be alive. Not in a spiritual way conscious way but in a real physical way mortality will put on immortality I'll get a new body come on somebody anybody thanking God for the new body my eight pack is coming back 
in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Thankful for that. So what light does is it is actually, it's, it's, its job is to remove fear. We turn the light on. Oh, we're good. That's what the job of light is to do. It's, it's, to, it's to expose the darkness as a lie, as not material, as not a thing. So John says, in him is light and only light. There's absolutely no darkness in him. This is, this is so interesting to me because what we've been talking about for the, for the past few weeks is we have been undermining the ideas that there is some duplicity to God. That somehow there are two sides to God, two faces to God. You know, religion will have you thinking, me and Jesus are buddy-buddy, but God, I don't know about your dad, bro. It's like your friends. It's like you go over to their house, and you're, you're cool with the father's son. You guys are hanging out in the yard, throwing baseball, but you go in the house, and you're like, sir, sorry, sir, sorry, should I, am I, can shoes on, shoes off, what do I? Religion will have you acting one way around Jesus and a different way around the father. But Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. However you act around me, however you see me, however you see me acting, however you see me treating people, that's how my Father treats you. So don't come over to my house and act like I'm different from my dad. I'm the same as my dad. We are one. But religion creates a duplicity to God, where God is somehow in the cross is this implosion of the Godhead, where God is just so mad, he's got to punch somebody and hit somebody, and he's got his wrath out, and then he's getting ready to hit you with it, and Jesus jumps in, no, Dad! And God kills his son. He's like, oh my God, what did I just do? And Jesus is like, Dad, why'd you do that? <laughs> we have this picture that because we think there is some shadow of turning in God, there's some change and shift from his nature in the old into the new, we have these conceptions about God that are not even biblical. One of them, I heard somebody say recently, they said, you know God killed Jesus, right, Robbie? I said, where is that verse in the Bible? Well, Isaiah 53, it says, it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Well, bruise and kill are two different things. I mean, really, it's just like, do I really need to explain <laughs> that bruise and kill are two different things? I felt there would be like a stronger reaction to that than the one I just got, like... <laughs> Okay, wait, really? Okay, so bruise is, is when something happens to a person and they, they I'm not going to do that to you, that's stupid. I'm not sarcastic like that. But, but what, what else does Isaiah 53 say? It says, we esteemed him stricken by God. When we saw the picture of the cross in our, head, in our minds and in our head, God was doing that to Jesus. But God wasn't doing that to Jesus. Read the book of Acts. At least nine times in the book of Acts, Paul goes, hey, you, you remember you, you guys, you are the people that crucified Jesus. Let me just read a couple instances to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. The Bible says this about God. So what did God do to Jesus? If God didn't kill Jesus, what did God do to Jesus? God, the Bible says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God in his deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, 
This is what Acts 2.23 says. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. What is God doing? God is handing him over to you. What did you do? You killed him. He says, let all of Israel know this. What did God do? God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What did God do to Jesus? God made him Lord and Messiah. Acts 4 and 10. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God... What is God doing on, while Jesus is on the cross? What is God doing while Jesus is in the grave? You crucified him, but what is God doing? God is raising him from the dead. That's what he said. What is God doing? The apostle would say God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This isn't the Godhead imploding on, on, on one another. This is God offering his son to us. Listen to what John 3 and 19 says. And this is the judgment against you, that light came into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Jesus came with light into the world and he came, listen to me, he came as, in, as a baby and humanity tried to kill him before he was born. And humanity chased him all the way up until his 33, 33rd year of life. And humanity nailed him to a cross. That's what the Bible says. God, what was God doing? God was in Christ reconciling him. God raised him from the dead. God wasn't disconnected from the Son. God wasn't throwing his wrath on Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God poured out his wrath on Jesus. If God poured out his wrath on Jesus, then Jesus would have absorbed all the wrath of God. There would be none left. But the Bible says Jesus saved us from the wrath of God that is to come. So don't get it twisted. Jesus didn't take the wrath of God. The wrath of God is still coming on all of the ungodly and the wicked. Because he still has it. He didn't pour it out on Jesus. Jesus became a sacrifice for our sin. He carried our sin, but he didn't experience God being like, I got to punch somebody. What do you think God was up in heaven doing? You know, man, I'm just so ticked off. And the angel was like, God, calm down, chill out. What are we going to do about this? I, you, know, you, know, you know what I need? I need my perfect lamb son of God to go down to the earth and to die for people. Yeah, that's a good idea. Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Send him down. Now, now send him. Send him. I'm just ticked. It's gotten to a point in history where I'm just so ticked I can't deal with it any longer. Jesus comes down to earth. God is up in heaven. He's like, you know what? I'm just getting more and more ticked off. I can't. I can't deal it. It's like, Jesus, we already sent him. He's going to die. It's not enough. It's not enough. You know what I need? I need a crown of thorns. How many thorns do you need, God? I don't know. Fifteen. Put fifteen in there. What else do you need? Oh, I, I, need, I, need, I need you to stab him in the side. I need you to torture him. That's what I need. As if God is some vengeful creature up in the sky, a retributive God who's just like, I just need to get my justice. No, the Bible doesn't say for God so hated the world that he killed his only begotten son. It says for God so loved the world that he offered his son to us and we killed the son of the living God. God is not like, you know, oh, 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 man, you know what I need? I need, I need him to be hit on the back. How many times, God? Oh, 40 minus one. That's a lot. That's a lot, God. Are you satisfied now? No, I'm not satisfied. I'm still going to burn some people up at the end, but this will do for now. 
<laughs> That's just like ridiculous. And when that type of doctrine and teaching are put under the microscope and the light of God, you can't see that in the nature of God. What you see in the nature of God is God himself wrapping himself in human form, saying, I'm not going to kill my son. I'm going to show up as my son, and I'm going to offer myself. And then what's going to happen? They're going to take this little baby in the womb, and they're going to chase him for, the, for 33 years, and then they're <coughs> going to put him on a cross. This is what the world does to pure light. This is what the world does to perfect goodness. This is what the world does to love. At the end of this thing, we're not going to be hated and, and despised and, 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 and persecuted by people because, of how, because we stand for righteousness. We're going to be persecuted because how we love, how we forgive, how we treat our enemies. That's good news. That's good news. So we took this pure baby, this innocent lamb of God, and he who knew no sin became a sin offering for us. Jesus didn't become a sinner on the cross. He took sin on. He didn't become a sinner. The idea that God just can't look on Jesus on the cross and he forsook Jesus. When Jesus says, Father, if God is doing it to Jesus, then why does Jesus say, Father, forgive them? We're like, well, what about when Jesus says, Father, you know, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. Read Psalm 22. It doesn't end with forsakenness. It ends with you did not forsake me. You did not leave me. You did not abandon me. That was the conclusion of Psalm 22. So Jesus is letting all of these Jews know this, I am the fulfillment of Psalm 22. You thought God was going to abandon you, but God never left you. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. Jesus came to change God, our mind about God. For God has always, forever loved the world. Like, Robbie, I didn't ask for all of this on Christmas Eve. I just wanted you to be like, there was a baby, you know. And he was cute, and he was like God and stuff, and like... I didn't ask you to undo what my auntie told me my whole life. That God was going to get me, turn or burn. I just... <laughs> and think about this. Think about this. Jesus comes. Perfection comes in the earth. Light comes in the earth. And what are the two forces that join together to crucify the perfect son of God? Politics and religion. Empire religion. <laughs> and you think salvation comes from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. You think your savior is coming in the next election and he's got a little bit of hair and it slides over to the right really cool. You think the Messiah has arrived. No, your savior has already come. His name is Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. My knee, your knee, Donald Trump's knee, Joe Biden's knee, all of their knees are going to bow. Everybody living on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, they'll all bow to the name of Jesus. In the earth, under the earth, above the earth, every knee will bow. 
When Jesus left the earth, let me tell you something. He didn't go to the disciples, listen, hey, if you could just get Rome, if you could just convince Rome to be a republic, everything would be great in your life. Oh, and by the way, there's going to be this nation come along years from now, and they're going to be this perfect picture of justice and equality and love. <laughs> we need to get back to the original. We need to get back to the founders. We need to get back to those, what, the days when we had slaves and it was part of law, the day when black people couldn't vote and women couldn't talk. Like, what do you want to go back to? The good old days of America. What are you talking about? This system has always been flawed. It has always been flawed and will always be flawed. If Jesus showed up in America, we would have killed him in the same way the Romans did. We would have just used an electric chair. Because that's what evil men do to light. Because they hate the light because it exposes their darkness. You know what Jesus came to expose? He came to expose the power of fear that was over the people of God because of the political regime and the religious regime. And on the cross, he defeated all of them. It was an announcement that there is only one king of the world and his name is Jesus. It was an announcement that there is only one man and one mediator with the father. His name is Jesus. And in one fell swoop, he undermined all of our political systems and all of our religious systems and turned the whole world to him. As a matter of fact, that's what he did on the cross. The Bible tells us that when he hung on the cross, he said about it, he said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. In other words, the enemy thought he was turning out the lights when he killed Jesus. He didn't realize he was turning the lights on for the whole world to see. And now 2,000 years later, you and I are still drawn to that same light that was lifted up on that hill called Calvary. I wonder if anybody is thankful today that Jesus, the light of the world, has removed fear from my life. I don't have to be afraid of governments and I don't have to be afraid of religion. Set me free. I don't have to be afraid of governments and I don't have to be afraid of religion. He has set me free. Once you stop fearing government and once you stop fearing religion, who's left? But God alone. This is the Christmas story. Just not as swaddling clothes as you wanted it to be. (laughs) Jesus said in John 12 and 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, he says, I will draw all men to myself. That word draw means drag. Drag. Like a fish caught in a net. That's the picture of the gospel. It's not Jesus is out there trying to like convince people, like, come on, believe me, man. I'm really good. I'm nice. Like, no, when you see him lifted up, he said, I'll just, I'll just drag people. It'll be like a net. They won't even be able to help themselves. They'll end up in my net and in my presence like a fly drawn to a light. That's why the enemy wants to blind us to the good news. That's why he wants to keep us bound up in religion and rules and keep us away from relationship because he wants to conceal the light. But the light has come into the world, and, world, and John said, and darkness could not overcome it. 
Come on, somebody. I'm thankful for Jesus today. Will you bow your head with me? If there's anybody in this room today who would say, Robbie, I, I feel far from God today. Maybe you feel far from God because you've never put your faith in Him. And in order to be saved, in order to miss the wrath that is to come, because God is going to come and God is going to judge. It's not another side to God. It's always been who He is. Judgment is all a part of Scripture. It's not the second part of the coin. It's not the other side of the story. It's the same story. But if you will put your faith in Jesus, you can avoid the wrath that is to come because Jesus' blood has cleansed you from your sin. If you're here today, you feel far from God because you've been living in your darkness and you have not exposed it to the light. I want to offer you this opportunity to Put your faith in Jesus again to come home today. So if that's you and you feel far from God, whether you're away from God because you've never given your life to him or you are away today because you feel like you're in darkness, I'm gonna ask you one, two, three. When I count to one, two, three, when I get to three, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air. We're gonna pray and I believe in this moment, the light of the world is going to begin to eradicate the darkness in the name of Jesus. If that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. I see you. Anybody else? I see you there. Anyone else? I see you, sir. I see you back there. Anyone else? I want to draw near to Jesus. I want to draw near to Jesus. I see you, ma'am. Anybody else? Come on, church. Can we pray with those that lifted their hands? Let's say this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you all of my life. Take it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm gonna ask our worship team to sing a song as you leave today. You can stay and you can worship. If you gotta go, we totally understand, but I've asked them to sing this song and I love it. And I love my daughter and uh, she's gonna sing for you today. Thank you for being here. Merry Christmas, guys.